Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, Mike Narco Cop Union. Today, we're going to be talking about UFC Singapore, Max Holloway versus the Korean Zombie. And Mike, it's going down this Saturday morning live at the Singapore Indoor Stadium in Singapore. You got two legends in the main event, obviously Max Holloway the former UFC featherweight champion, the output king, taking on Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie, the man who has one of the best brawls of all time against Leonard Garcia, the man with the fastest knockout in UFC history against Mark Hominick, the man with the first ever twister in UFC history in the rematch against Leonard Garcia, and two-time title challenger, no less, Korean zombie. And uh, it's nice to see two legends, two, the last of a dying breed going at it. And despite the wide line, I'm very excited for this main event. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me first off, Dan. Um, two o'clock card, 2 a.m. my time. It's going to be pretty rough. But, you know, I'm going to be there watching this, this card, having some probably bets on it. And, yeah, I can't wait for the main event, man. It's a wide line, but... Um, you know, two two uh, goats over here, man. Two two really good fighters, good all around fighters, and I'm really interested in in actually uh, some of these fights on this card. Well, without further ado, Mike, let's get right down to business because in the main event, we got Max Holloway. He's 24 and seven, taking on the Korean Zombie, who's 17 and seven, and currently they got it. Max Holloway minus 800. The comeback on the Korean Zombie is plus 550. So is it recency bias where, you know, the Korean Zombie was coming off that bad performance against Volkanovsky? Because, I mean, look, both of them got, you know, owned by Volkanovsky. It wasn't just the Korean Zombie. And don't get me wrong. Max Holloway would still be a favorite no matter what. But my question is, would he be more towards, you know, a minus 400 favorite instead of a minus 800 favorite? had, you know, Chan Sung Jung's last memory, you know, not been that Volkanovsky fight. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it would be. I mean, there is some recency bias baked in this line. And um, we see it all the time in MMA. I mean, it, it happens over and over and over again. And um, the problem is, it's like, you know, what's the path for Korean Zombie here? Like, is he going to outstrike Max Holloway? What's the plan here? And kind of have an issue you know over five rounds here max holloway is gonna come out with crazy output like usual um he looked pretty damn good in his last fight um against the title challenger in in arnold allen who was really flying up the ranks you know and you know here we are now and and korean zombie took an absolute beating and and, and that's a slight concern for me like at the age that he's at, you know, 36 years old now, you know, taking a beating like that against Volkanovski, I mean, that was four rounds of absolute beating. And now the issue I have here is he's facing a guy that is going to do kind of like similar things in the sense that he's going to throw a ton of volume. He's going to keep coming and just don't want to see Korean zombie getting a beating like that again. Obviously Volkanovski I think is, is a much harder hitter. He's a lot more dangerous than Max Holloway, but still, man, the volume catches up to you over five rounds. Um, it's hard for me to see a path for Korean zombie here, to be honest. Um, 36 years old. I mean, he's still a, a great, great fighter, but I think it's kind of coming to an end in my opinion. 
Um, so yeah, I like Max Holloway here. Um, just not gonna lay these type of prices, you know, in MMA, especially with two guys that are very skilled at the end of the day. So yeah, I mean Max Holloway, I think, wins here probably by decision. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that if Zombie tries to go volume for volume with Max, it's gonna look a lot worse than than it could, you know, should he do what I think he's gonna do, which is let Max be the volume guy and Chance Sung Jung needs to be the counter guy. He needs to be able to come out here and counter Max Holloway with big power strikes because, listen, for all the output Max has, he does get hit a lot. Like, we know that there was a number that came out recently of how many head strikes he's absorbed over his career, and it's a lot. So Chan Sung, I mean, this is his best, his best, best path to victory is a counter-striking power punching approach like maybe you can be the first guy to cr finally crack that chin of max holloway like because i don't think you're going to match him on on output i mean according to the numbers he's got no chance to match him on output um zombies only landed over 100 significant strikes a few times whereas max i mean the numbers he put up against cater let's not even talk about that yet let's talk about the numbers he put up against yair the numbers he put up against yair were better than any numbers zombies ever put up in any fight he's had before 230 significant strikes but against cater he put up 445 that was just ridiculous and while zombies passed the 100 significant strike threshold he's never gotten to 150 let alone 200 let alone 400 damn near 450 like max holloway right so it has to be you know him chan sung winning is contingent on power punching counters and I think that's it. I haven't really factored how they stack up grappling because I think Max is kind of underrated on the mat. But so is Chan Sung Jung. I mean, first ever twister in UFC history. The guy can hit takedowns. And we have to give this guy his flowers, man. I mean, some of the best fights in the history of the sport. If you're watching my podcast and you've never seen uh, Korean Zombie versus Leonard Garcia 1 at WEC 48, um, I highly advise you pause this right now, either pull up fight pass or go to YouTube and watch that fight. It's literally the best brawl of all time. It's just 15 minutes of toe to toe, um, just action. Just, yeah, it's such a good fight. And then he's given us more fight of the years, a fight of the year against Dustin Poirier, a fight of the year against Yair Rodriguez, fastest knockout in UFC history. Like I said, two time title challenger. So I know some of the newer fans, you know, don't appreciate Zombie as much as they should, but the guy is a certified legend. He is a certified BMF, and there's a reason Max Holloway asked for this fight because he wanted to fight the last remaining dude from the old school era. You know, Max has already fought the Cub Swansons, the Frankie Edgars, Dustin Poirier, et cetera, et cetera, but he's never fought the Korean Zombie. So that's why this fight is happening. And you can't just rush Max to a fourth title shot, right? Like he's already been in there with Volk three times. Only one of them was kind of, you know, iffy the second fight. But the first I thought was clearly Volk, even though it was kind of, you know, tighter than the third. The third was a fucking destruction. So you got to get Max Holloway back on a win streak. He just beat, like you said, a kid who was on his way to a title shot in Arnold Allen. You parlay that with a win over Chan Sung Jung and one or two more, and you could see that fourth fight. So 
Yeah, I mean, the volume is going to be huge here. I'm just curious to see what approach Chansung comes out with. But like you said, it's not just a matter of opinion that the Korean zombies, you know, unfortunately on his way out. He even said it after the Volk fight. He said, you know, maybe I just don't have it anymore. And in addition to that, when fighters say that and you mix it in with he's coming off the title fight loss, you know it's every fighter's dream to be a world champion. And when that dream gets crushed, they tend to have kind of like a drop-down performance the next time. So this might be the last time we see the legendary Korean zombie. And if it is, man, you know, I will shed a tear because that guy is a legend. That guy is someone that I've looked up to just as a fan of the sport. And same with Max Holloway too, but I think Max Holloway obviously has more tread on the tires. So in a long-winded way, I'm picking the minus 800 favorite here to come out. I don't know if it's uh, to come out victorious. I don't know if it's going to be a decision or a TKO, but... Max is the pick. Co-main event of the evening. We got a rematch. We got Anthony Smith, who's 36 and 18, taking on Ryan Spann, who was 21 and 8. Currently, they got it. Anthony Smith, minus 125. The comeback on... I said Ryan Spann, minus 125, right? The comeback on Anthony Smith is plus 110. Let me ask you something. Who do you think has been finished more times in their career? Anthony Smith or Ryan Spann? I would... Take a guess, I, and I don't even I don't even know off the top of my head to be honest. I would say Ryan Span. He's okay. just like a killer be killed type of fighter. So I'm just he taking is, a guess. He is a killer be killed fighter, but the reason I asked that is because our memory makes us think it's Ryan Span because every time this guy gets touched, he gets wobbled, and he's a front runner. He's a fucking athletic specimen front runner, but he's a front runner no less. But he's only got six stoppage losses. Anthony Smith has, listen to this, 14 stoppage losses. Now, granted, a lot of them were back in the day and in different weight classes, um, but he used to cut a lot of weight, and he used to get knocked out like every, every other fight. Uh, Anthony Smith has been stopped via strikes nine times. The thing is, once he moved up to 205, he only got stopped once against uh, Magomed and Khalif, and it was, you know, uh, injury stoppage, right? Well, that's not true. Glover Teixeira did as well. Um, but that being said, you know, and, and you remember the Tiago Maheta Santos fight back at 85s. So it's not like Anthony Smith hasn't been stopped his fair share of times is basically the reason I asked you that to begin with. This is a tough one for me to call, man, because it's like, if you just watch their first fight, Anthony put it on him. Anthony owned him. Anytime Anthony would touch Ryan Span, it hurt Ryan Span badly. Anytime anyone touches Ryan Span, it hurts Ryan Span badly. And again, if you kind of stand up to the bully, Ryan Span, he's like a head case, man. Like he's the kind of dude that is fighting in a UFC co main event, but will set all his um, social media handles on private, right? He's a big time head case, but man, he's an athletic specimen. And from time to time, he will surprise you. Like the Dominic Reyes fight, I know it's easy to say now. Oh, Dominic is washed up goods, which is facts. He is, you know, <laughs> he is damaged goods. But like, you know, Aunt, uh, Ryan Span was a plus 180 dog in that fight, right? And uh, he got him out of there quicker than Yiri, quicker than Jan Blahovic. Granted, all the damage added up leading up to that point. But still, he got him out of there faster than all those guys. The Iwan Kutalaba fight got him out of there quick. I mean, sometimes even the Johnny Walker fight, man, he had Johnny on the ropes before before he did something he's done three times before, Mike, which is Ant, uh, 
Ryan Spann has been finished by knockout the exact same way three times, which is shooting a sloppy shot and getting caught with those Travis Brown elbows to the ear, to the temple, maybe to the back of the head, but the rep didn't call it, you know? So when you've been stopped the same way three times and you hear his coach, Safe Saud, who, I mean, I got so much respect for, as soon as Ant, uh, as soon as Ryan Spann took that sloppy shot, you could hear Safe in the corner, get out of there, get out of there, because he knew exactly what was coming. So here, it's one of those things where I know why people are picking Anthony. I mean, he's a dog. He won the first time, all that. But, man, coming back from a leg break, you know, guys don't often look the same. Look at Weidman the other day. Look at Anderson when he came back. When Connor comes back, he will be faded too. That Johnny Walker fight against Anthony, I was at that fight. It was in Charlotte. Anthony looked fucking terrible, dude. And, and that fight could have been stopped, but Johnny was kind of playing with his food a little bit. I don't trust I don't trust either guy. I don't know. Can you convince me on a side here? Yeah, um, I agree with you in, in, in a lot of senses here. Like, um, you know, the line's basically almost at pick'em here. Um, in the first fight, like Anthony Smith completely dominated this guy. And the thought is here, you know, after watching that fight, why is this line currently where it is, right? Because We've basically watched almost, you know, what, what is it, half a round of this fight? And one guy was in complete domination of this fight, whether it be standing or grappling, you know. So, um, you know, it, it gave me pause here because I, I was kind of on the Anthony Smith side. Um, but then I, I, I kind of dug a little deeper and I, and I said to myself, you know, Anthony Smith looked absolutely horrible in this last fight. You're absolutely correct against Johnny Walker. But I think part of the problem was um, he got his legs chopped off. I mean, uh, you know, getting your legs chopped off, he didn't have limbs to stand on, to be honest. And he was fighting with one leg for almost two rounds of that fight. I went back and looked and to see if Ryan Spann actually kicks the legs, kicks the calves, because I have a big concern for Anthony Smith there. He just doesn't check him. He doesn't know how to check him. He gets his leg chopped off in a lot of these fights where guys can kick him. And Anthony Spann literally throws zero kicks, man, like none. And I was kind of surprised because I thought he had a kickboxing background, but he really doesn't throw any freaking kicks in MMA at all. So, um, you know, when I went back and looked and I said to myself, you know what, it's even money. One guy here is very, very front-loaded in, in, in Ryan Spann. He probably needs to finish this early. And if he doesn't finish early, he, he just doesn't have cardio. He falls off a cliff. Um, he's not technically better than Anthony Smith is. I think Anthony Smith is better everywhere, in my opinion here, outside of the power. The sheer power, the sheer athleticism is definitely on Ryan Spann's side. But outside of that, I just see so many advantages for Anthony Smith. And, and one of them, I think, is cardio. Because I think if this fight uh, clearly goes into round two or round three, he's going to have a big cardio edge here and, and a big experience edge as well in the later rounds. So I took the plus 110 here. Um, there is concerns, like you said. Um, but, you know, one of the major concerns, I think, for Anthony Smith is that calf kick, leg kick. And Ryan Spann just doesn't seem to do them. And I also do think his, his fight IQ is a little shaky. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm going to be rooting for you because you took Anthony in the spot. I want to see you win, and I don't have money on this. I don't even have a confident pick on this because 
realistically, I could see it going either way. Like, I hear the arguments of the durability of Smith, but at what point does that finally go, man? I mean, the way he's been looking is awful. And not that Span's been looking much better, but like from time to time, when you count Span out, that's when he'll surprise you. And like you said, his only advantages are just kind of he's black explosive. You know what I mean? He's an athletic freak. Um, I'm going to go Ryan Span to catch him early and, and just get him out of there. Kind of a front running loaded victory where he doesn't have to overcome any adversity because a lot of Anthony Smith's wins are kind of predicated on comebacks minus the last time he fought <laughs> Ryan Span. Um, but no two fights are ever alike. So I hope you're right. I want to see you win. But I'll pick Ryan so that one of us is right. Now, featured bout in the featherweight division, we got the long-awaited return, Agiga Chikadze. He's he's been gone since the cater fight. He's fourteen and three, taking on Bruce Leroy, Alex Caceres, who's twenty-one and thirteen. Currently, they got it. Giga Chikadze minus two forty. The comeback on Bruce Leroy is plus two hundred. So on one hand. It's kind of sketchy that Giga's been gone for so long. Allegedly, I don't know if this is hyperbole and exaggeration, but allegedly he's had like five surgeries. I don't know if that's true or not. Like, that's what he said, but talk is cheap, right? Um, but on the other side of things, this is kind of a good fight to come back to. This is kind of, you know, this ain't a, a top five guy like Calvin Cater anymore. This is, I mean, don't get me wrong. Bruce Leroy is not an easy fight, but I'm just saying, you know, you were fighting the Barbosas, the Caters. This is kind of a step back. Um, still a seasoned vet, no less. And there's definitely spots we don't want Giga and we don't want Alex Caceres taking his back. We don't want, you know, prolonged, you know, exchanges where it becomes kind of like who's got the better cardio because we know Giga's a, a big time gasser. But what do you kind of think here? What are you what are your expectations for Giga here coming off a severe beating, long layoff, alleged you know, X amount of surgeries, but no less a step down in competition. Yeah. I mean, major, major step down in competition. And and I like Alex Caceres. I think he's a, a wily vet. Um, he's decent everywhere. He's pretty durable. Um, good jujitsu. Um, and as, and as a long guy, right. He's very, he has very long limbs, um, can make it tricky on you. He has that karate style in and out um, switching stances. So he's, he's a little hard to deal with. Um, you know, and then on the giga side, you know, this guy has been gone, like you said, for a while, I didn't even know about this five surgery thing. And like we said, you said, you know, we don't know how true it is. That's what he says. Um, but you know, the Calvin Cater fight, you know, um, honestly, early on, it was pretty damn competitive in round one and two. I think Cater started taking over as giga started to slow down. And part of the slowing down, I think, is because of the Calvin Cater pressure, right? Lots of volume, lots of pressure. Um, he will keep coming. He's got a granite chin. I mean, the guy got clipped by Giga with some huge straight left hands. And, and Giga has a lot of power in his hands along with his legs. But, you know, he took him like nothing. And, and Cater has a, a, a very, very good chin. Um. I'm not so sure Caceres can take those shots. You know, he he was dropped, I believe, by Sung Wo Choi in that fight. Um, before Sung Wo Choi decided to go for a a grounded knee, which you know, who knows what that would have been. You know, maybe he would have stopped um, Caceres there because he was hurt pretty damn bad. But um, 
you know, outside of that, I, I just, you know, Caceres does obviously have a grappling edge here. The issue I have is when you go back and look at Caceres' career, um, outside of like maybe seven years ago, the guy doesn't even have more than one takedown in the UFC. Um, you know, Giga's takedown defense is not terrible. And he's not like a complete fish out of the water. You know, when he's on the ground, he tends to get back up. Um, on the feet, man, it's just, for me, it's like the power advantage is so one-sided here, you know. And like you mentioned, the, the drop down in, in, in competition, you know, when you go from a striker like Barbosa and a, and a guy like Cater, and then now you're fighting – a guy in Caceres who I don't really think has a lot of power in his hands. I mean, albeit he's long and he has, you know, okay power, I would say, but nothing that's coming back that's really dangerous. So I think this is a good comeback fight for Giga. Do I want to lay minus 250s and 275s on Giga after a year and a half? Not really, because there is still a little bit of concern in the grappling. Like if Caceres gets his back, it's going to be a little shaky because the guy's very long. Good BJJ, like I said. So um, don't really want to touch uh, the money line here. But if I have to pick a winner, I think Giga probably cruises to a victory here. Could even be a knockout. Yeah, and I think where things went downhill in the Cater fight was Cater mixed it up, hit a very explosive takedown where he kind of bulldoze Chikadze into the fence, use that momentum against him and got him down. And once Chikadze was on his back, now granted he, he survived, but like when he got back up, he just wasn't the same guy anymore. It, all like his energy meter was just completely drained and it was crazy here. Bruce Leroy doesn't have that kind of pressure. And you mentioned how, Alex is a longer guy, which is a very good point. Like for the standard of that division, he is a longer guy, but Giga's even longer than Alex. Giga's got the height and reach here. He usually succeeds in those kind of situations. Don't forget about his devastating liver kick, monikered the Giga kick, which is really just a liver kick, you know. Especially when you're standing uh, southpaw against an orthodox fighter. But I guess what makes this kind of interesting is that Alex is the southpaw here. Giga does switch, but Giga is mostly orthodox. So I'm curious if that liver kick is going to actually be open here based on how they stand. For it to be open, Giga is going to have to go southpaw on him. So that's going to make it really intriguing. Let's see if he comes out here and tries to switch stances. And I could just totally see it. Like if he doesn't knock out Caceres, I could see the first two going to Giga, and I could see a very sketchy round in round three. And again, Bruce Leroy takes his back. We don't we don't know what to expect there either. So I'm good on this price. It's a pass for me, but my pick is Giga Chikazi to get back on track. Um, hopefully he's the same guy, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I love his fights. I mean, he's an exciting fighter, but you know, five surgeries later, who knows? Next up in the bantamweight division, we got the Japanese prospect Rinya Nakamura. He's seven and zero. Taking on Fernie Garcia, who's 10 and 3. Currently, just like the Holloway line, Nakamura's minus 800. The comeback on Fernie is plus 550. I'll give Fernie a little bit of credit. He does have heavy hands. You know, he 
landed a knockdown on his uh contender series fight you know rocked uh i think he might have rocked brady he stand at one point in their fight dropped them yeah in round one they didn't give him credit i think yeah they didn't give him credit besides that though the output is on the very low side i'll give him one more credit trains under coach safe saud but the thing is you know coach safe saud can't fight for you you know um but if coach safe saud had the video game controller that that'd be that'd be one thing right but just fernie he's got heavy hands but that's about it he's tough but he struggles to get back up from bottom his output is so low and with rinia what's interesting is you know we kind of know him as this knockout artist but really he's got this wrestling background right um and that's why i think he's such a big favorite here like he can bang with fernie if he wants to you know that might actually give fernie the chance to win but you know rinia has got big power i mean his last two fights he got two knockdowns in each of them and slept both those guys badly but push comes to shove maybe he doesn't like how the stand-up exchanges are going he can always resort back to his wrestling and that's why he's this wide of a favorite not to mention it's closer to home territory for him than it is for fernie making an insane flight right and there's going to be other situations on the card like that but with guys not as talented as rinya i think rinya is one of the better japanese prospects and you know I, i'm picking him to win here it's just the question is knockout submission or decision yeah i mean like you said he's a very 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 high level wrestler i mean this guy is uh olympic level wrestling you know he's really really good in the wrestling but for whatever reason he loves to bang it out in a lot of his fights like he is coming at first slugging it out um and he has a ton of power as well on the feet like you said he's sleeping these guys with one shot you know when he's landing um bernie garcia you know I, I mentioned this when you looked at his career, right? Um, he got the knockout in contender series and, and I played him by KO there at a big line. And when you look at his historically, like there's no knockouts, you know, he doesn't have any knockouts, but when you watch his tape, he's dropping a lot of guys with his shots because he clearly does have power in his hands. It's just that the finishing ability just doesn't seem there like the finishing instincts. Um, but like you mentioned, you know, this guy has a boxing background. He's he's a pretty damn good boxer. He's not bad on the feet. Um, on the ground is where he's a liability. You know, he's getting taken down. He's getting held down. Um, Brady did it a bunch against him. Um, basically, minutes were washed away with him on the ground. Um, he was trying to work. It's just that he's not very good down there. You know, he's he's like I said, he's a boxing background. He's probably kind of new to jujitsu. I don't know how many years he's been doing it, but he's not very good down there. And that's where Rinya, to be honest, is best, right? He's he's best on the ground. Who cares about the knockouts? His bread and butter is the wrestling. That's his background. That's where he's great at. Um, and that's probably where Fernie Garcia is going to have a lot of trouble. On the feet, I will say, I, I don't like what Nakamura does. Honestly, he gets clipped a whole hell of a lot. And when you watch the nosy fight, the Shio nosy, he rocks him two different times in that fight, Nakamura. He wobbles him backwards two different times in that fight, which is not a good look to see. You don't want to see that from a guy that's a wrestler standing there and trading with, with someone like Fernie, who's an actual boxer, you know? So 
I'm very close to taking a poke on Fernie Garcia, believe it or not. Um, because I think this Nakamura guy just loves to slug it out and he's going to give uh, Fernie this chance to clip him. And I see him get clipped. I mean, even Kazama in the last fight hit him, clipped him a couple of times on the feet. So it's a concern for me that he's trying to like trade on the feet a lot, maybe trying to make a point. I don't know. Um, but I'm a little interested in Fernie Garcia at these ridiculous prices now. Um, you know, obviously I, I think Nakamura wins the fight, but we're talking about money line and we're talking about a guy that's not very experienced in MMA is, you know, minus 850 here and is tend to fall in love with his striking, man. We heard Gregory Rodriguez last week say on his interview, I'm a black belt in BJJ. I'm very good on the ground. And I fell in love with striking after I started knocking people out. And this guy, I feel like, is getting the same love for knocking people out. And, and that's why he comes forward banging now. So who knows? Um, you know, he should win for sure here because he has that wrestling in his back pocket. But I feel like Garcia's live on the feet, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, the price is terrible. So, you know, dogger pass. Next up in the flyweight division. This should be very good, Mike. We got Aaron Blanchfield. She's 11 and 1, arguably 12 and 0, taking on Tyler Santos, who's 19 and 2. Currently, they got it. Aaron Blanchfield minus 145. The comeback on Tyler Santos is plus 125. So Aaron's come through for me a couple times, you know, against Miranda Maverick at plus 125, against Jessica Andrade at plus 160. But plus 125 and plus 160 are different than minus 145, you know? And here's the kind of dynamic in this fight. I see Tyler Santos kind of being the more physical fighter in this spot. Um, I mean, she is. That's not a debate. She is definitely the more physical fighter. But I think Aaron Blanchfield's kind of the meaner fighter here. Um, she kind of, like, doesn't take no for an answer. She might not be the most athletic, but she's mean, and she goes forward, and she's tough as hell. And she's like one of those like kid prodigies. Like she got like her black belt when she was like a teenager, right? So it is a situation where although Tyla's also a black belt, I'm pretty damn sure. I mean, brown belt at least, but I think she's she's probably a black belt. Aaron is that good where like if she gets Tyla in those situations that Valentina had her in, Aaron can finish the fight there. I'm just worried about the physicality in the early going, kind of stifling Aaron, kind of you know, frustrating her a bit. But I do think eventually that mean streak of Aaron is going to carry her over in the second and third rounds, you know, assuming the fight goes all three, potentially a submission along the way. You know, it's just I'm not interested at this price. Um, I think the price is probably accurate. Again, against Miranda, it was plus 125. Against Jessica, it was plus 160. Here it's minus... 145 minus 150. And it's probably accurate here, unless unless you really think that Aaron is just gonna walk, you know, it's gonna be a walk through the park and minus like she should be minus 250. Um, I definitely think she should be favored. I just don't necessarily know if there's much value on the line. So for me, it's a pass, but my pick is Aaron Blanchfield. Yeah, I agree with all your points here, man. Um, you know, when you look at Talia Santos, she's a physical specimen. I do have a question for you, though, and, and I heard this, um, I think, a day or two ago, but Talia Santos has something going on with her camp, I guess, where she didn't pay them, so they kicked her out of her camp. 
I, I don't know how accurate that is, but that's what I've been hearing. Um, something happened with their last fight against Chevchenko where she didn't pay her coaches or something happened. I'm not uh, sure. She probably got the most money she's ever made in a fight and was like, we didn't win. What the fuck am I going to pay you for? <laughs> that's I, fucked and, up. And I, I think it's pretty accurate because I don't see her training in her old gym. So I, I don't know what's going on there. So it's a little bit of a concern. Um, but, you know, when you mention physicality, she's strong. Um, she's going to be the bigger girl. She's going to be the better striker. She's going to have more power on the feet. Um, but you meant, you hit it on the head. Like Blanchfield's one of those fighters that no matter what you do to her, she's going to keep coming forward. She's going to keep trying to do what she has to do to get you down. And then when she gets you down, she's going to punish you. She's going to do whatever she can to finish the fight. She just has kind of like, when you look at her, you don't see it, but she has a mean streak. She really does. And, you know, as this fight carries on, maybe not in round one, but possibly in round two and three, I think that's when the grind starts working for her. You know, because when you watch round one of the Andrade fight, she had trouble. Like, she couldn't get Andrade down. She was getting hit a little on the feet. Even though her striking looks much better, she was getting hit on the feet. And, you know, you could see the physicality of Andrade kind of working for her early, right? She was getting off the fence. She was kind of bullying her around when they were trying to, you know, get in a clinch. And I kind of feel like the same thing might happen early here with Santos. But I think this girl just doesn't get discouraged, Dan. She just doesn't, man. Whatever you do to her doesn't discourage her. She's going to keep at her game plan. She's going to throw, trying to get you in the clinch and try to, you know, trip, take you down or whatever she needs to do to get you down there. And, and once you're down there, you know, you mentioned this. She's been a black belt forever. And this girl, and you can look at her Instagram. She lives and breathes this sport, man. She really does. And I think she wins here. Um, I'm, I'm close to betting her, but I haven't yet because I do think, I kind of agree with you. This line, if this was a five-round fight, yes, man, I would be all over her. I really would. Well but said. Not, not, not to cut you off, but I, I just think that that's such a great point that She's someone that's really going to thrive in those five round fights. She's someone that picks up the pace as the fight progresses. And the reason that I think we might be hesitant to take this minus 150, you know, watch her choke her out early, but just saying in an extended fight is, you know, what if that first round goes to Tyler? What if that second round's 50 50? What if Aaron just dominates that third round? And you're like, man, if we just had two more rounds, it'd be without a shadow of a doubt. Um, so I feel where you're coming from. Like she, like I feel you there, and to your credit, her straight punches were looking decent against Andrade. Now Andrade doesn't move her head off the center line, but Aaron's performance just gave me that extra incentive to go a little bit bigger on Yan Zhanan, who I would have bet anyways, but I went just a little bit bigger because of how much success Aaron was having with those straight punches you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, here's here's the thing that I'm concerned about: she loses round one. Because Santos is, we saw it against uh, Chevchenko, how strong she is, man. Like, Chevchenko is probably one of the strongest girls at 25. And, and she wasn't having it, man. She was getting on top in some of those sequences where she just looked stronger than Chevchenko early, right? But as the fight went on, what happened to her, right? Chevchenko Katie. started dominating, right? She started looking stronger. And, and I feel like that's what's going to happen here. It's just that we only have three rounds. and. Yeah, I'm probably going to eventually pass on this, honestly. Maybe I'll take some pokes at, at Blanchfield late here. I think that's something maybe to look at. But um, 
probably going to pass overall, but I think Blanchfield wins. Next up in the heavyweight division, we got Junior Tafa. He's four and one, taking on Parker Porter, who's 14 and eight. Currently, they got it. Junior Tafa, similar line to the last fight, minus 140. The comeback on Parker Porter is plus 120. Um, now we know what happened when Parker fought his brother. And let me just say this as well. We also saw what happened in this Tafa's debut. But to give him credit, just like his bro, his bro got slept by Jorgen DeCastro in his debut. Like, sometimes these fighters will pull what I like to refer to as the debut stunt. You saw it with Tyler Santos losing to Mara Romero Barella, who she has zero business losing to. We're going to talk about this kid coming up named Japanese Connor, uh, Kinoshita. Same situation there. So the question is, are you willing to give Taffa a second chance? Or do you think, you know, what happened last time is indicative of what might happen here? I already gave him a second chance, Dan. Um, I feel like, first off, like, the the making of this fight is a little weird to me, right? Taffa coming off of a Usman loss, who's not very high up there. And they're giving him, a, you know, a guy that is kind of a very good matchup, in my opinion, flying all the way cross country, where it's a much shorter flight for, for Tafa, right? The thing that stuck out to me is, is, you know, the Usman fight was not a great look, right? Early, he had Usman hurt very bad. And Usman was just surviving. I mean, surviving for his life. And, and even late in the fight, actually, as he went to get up, uh, he nailed Usman with a couple of big shots. What I will say is his cardio is not great, but it's not as bad as I thought it would be, honestly, in a very, very high grappling fight. Um, I just don't think Parker Porter brings that physicality in the grappling that Usman did. Usman, to me, is a better wrestler. He's more physical. And he managed to use his physicality in wrestling to get this fight to the ground. I don't think Parker Porter has that in him. And if this is standing, I think Junior Tafa lights him up on the feet, man, similar to his brother. He's got fast hands. He's got a lot of power in his punches. He's going to be the longer guy here. Um, you know, like I said, it's a shorter trip here. This guy's coming across country. You know, Parker Porter looked good as far as his weight and his body in his last fight. He, he, he was the lowest he's ever been. He looked a lot better. But, I mean, what is that going to help him in this fight? Is he going to grapple better? Is he going to be a better wrestler? I don't. I just don't see it. I see this fight. And, and also, early on in the takedown defense, I liked actually what Tafa was doing. He was digging underhooks every single time. Usman couldn't get him down early until he got tired is when he started taking him down. So, for me, like, I think this fight's standing. I think Tafa's a much, much better striker. He's a lot younger. He's way faster. And he's the bigger guy. So, um, I like all of those for a minus 141. Um, I just think Parker Porter, Porter is being fed here to a guy that they want to get a W for, to be honest. So, give me Junior Tafa here uh, at minus 141. Yeah, I mean, I agree in terms of if this fight stays standing. Junior, I mean, most likely is going to starch this man. That All that kickboxing experience comes from a family of fighters. 
They have kind of that Mark Hunt style, explosive left hooks, break away from the clinch with big elbows, heavy leg kicks. The only concern is you can't look me in the eye with a straight face and tell me that if Parker Porter gets on top of Taffa, that you're not concerned that, fuck, man, this guy might not be able to get back up. That's the big concern here, right? Um, now, I don't think that Junior is anywhere near the can that Parker just fought, you know, that Tony Braxton, you know, I don't think it's anything like that, but he is still green in MMA, but I'm not willing to part ways with my money, but I'm willing to give him another shot in terms of a pure pick. And I'm going to go Junior Taffa here, but we know what the concerns are here. We know exactly what the concerns are. Like Parker gets on top of him and you can't just, you can't act surprised, right? Like you can't act like, you know, like that wasn't a concern, right? So hopefully that doesn't happen. They can keep it standing. And if they do, Taffa might starch him early, you know, or just light him up, you know, until he finally starches him. So we'll go Taffa as well. And uh, I wish you uh, luck on that. Thanks, now, Mara. next up, oh, thank you. Next up in the heavyweight division as well, we got Waldo Cortez Acosta, nine and one, taking on Lukash Breshki, who's eight, three and one. I know the pronunciation pronunciation police are going to come after me on that Lukash one, but uh, currently, just depends where you look. I see Waldo everywhere from minus 225 to upwards of minus 300. Come back on Lukash is everywhere from plus 189 to plus 215 right so you know lukash is a usada victim go look at his before and after pictures but i i gotta give lukash some credit man like a lot of people thought he arguably beat boudet what's funny is that i actually was asleep during that fight because prior to that was the nina nunez versus cynthia calvillo fight on that card and that fight put me to sleep right um and then i wake up and we're at the decision for Lukash Breschke and uh, Martin Boudet. And they announced Boudet the winner. And then I go on Twitter and it's this massive uproar. Now, going back and rewatching it, I completely understand why people feel the way they did. I think it might have been slightly exaggerated, but I still understand why people feel the way they did. I mean, there was definitely an output difference. My issue with Breschke is, you know, just the physique difference after, uh, you know, He's who knows if he's able to inject needles in his ass for this one. You know what I mean, man? He's taking is he taking his Flintstone vitamins? Is he harvesting the garden of life fruits and vegetables for this one? Because he is a tough guy. Like even in the Carl fight, he got taken down a bunch, but he got up a bunch. So I got to give him credit. Like he's gonna go for it. He's a scrapper. But Waldo is like a real athlete, man. Waldo, you can tell his baseball background, man. When he throws those overhands, it's like a a pitcher throwing a fastball, man. It was important for him to take that De Lima loss against a guy who was much more experienced than him, kind of get a bit of that vet lesson, let him know what the upper echelon, like what the top 15 is like a little bit. And I think this is a good bounce back, bounce back spot for him. I think he's got a lot more athletic upside. Um, it's just, it's still a heavyweight fight and neither guy is quite proven. So you can't really stamp your flag on it. But I, but again, I do think Waldo is the better athlete and he's got the more upside. And I think this is a good bounce back fight for him. So for that reason, Mike, I'm going to pick him to win this fight. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I agree with everything you said. I think the problem with Lukas Bretsky here is, um, you know, he's fought guys like Boudet and he looked okay in that fight. And, you know, 
split decision loss. Some people said he won. But there's a massive difference, honestly, between Boudet's striking and Acosta's striking, right? The hands. Acosta has much better hands, much faster, very, very good jab. Um, that's, I think, the major issue for Bresky here. Like, I, I think the jab lands at will for Acosta here. The thing is that Bresky is tough. He will keep coming forward. Um, one thing to kind of keep an eye on is in the Boudet fight, he did throw a lot of calf kicks, which we've come to realize that, you know, Acosta just cannot do anything with these calf kicks. Like, he gets killed with them fight after fight after fight. And I think that's a, a, a pretty good weapon for uh, Bresky here if he wants to use it. And, you know, th this line, I, I feel like, is is probably right. Uh, I, I think Ocosta wins here a, a good deal just by striking. I don't think Bresky has any type of, like, grappling edge here. Um, I do think Ocosta has a, a decent size uh, cardio edge here as well. So, um you know, lines right. I think I might attack a prop here on the Bresky side. I think Bresky decision, if you want to look at this guy, I just don't think he has much finishing upside here. I think Acosta is extremely tough, extremely durable. Don't think he's going to knock him out. I don't think he's going to sub him. So the decision prop is sitting at like 425. I kind of lean, you know, I think that's a decent way to attack Bresky if you like that side. Because I think... Almost all of his equity is, is in a decision here. Let me say this regarding the, the kicks, because you're right. Dude does get kicked a lot, but got to give him credit. He's got a great poker face. And like, okay, look at last week, the Ian Gary versus Magny fight. First two kicks drop Magny. Subsequent kicks have Magny making faces, hopping on one leg. This dude, Waldo, like, man, this is... Fucking balls of steel, man. <laughs> Dan, he ate 28 of them from DeLima. DeLima hits those. I mean, his leg kicks are different. You know what I'm saying? To eat 28 of them from that guy, well, you got to be freaking tough. He's a real athlete, so it's going to be interesting. Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Toshiomi Kazama. He's 10 and 3, taking on Garrett Armfield, who's 8 and 3. Currently, they got it. Garrett Armfield minus 175. The comeback on Toshiomi, Toshiomi Kazama is plus 150. So I took Armfield at minus 147 a couple days ago. I, I played him to win two units. Here's why. There's only one, I only have one concern in this fight. That's Toshiomi uh, subbing him. Um, Toshiomi taking his back, what, getting on top, whatever the case may be. Toshiomi Kazama is a one-trick pony. He literally tries to make, I mean, he'll come out and slug a little bit, but his chin is terrible. And it's not just the Rinya fight. Two fights prior, like when this guy gets slept, I mean, remember the Jeremy Stevens quote? Like, I don't just, like something about, I don't just TKO guys. When I knock guys out, I knock them fucking dead. Whatever he said, when this guy gets knocked out, he doesn't just get TKO'd. He gets knocked out dead. That flying knee he ate two fights ago, knocked out dead. Against Nakamura in 30 seconds, knocked out dead. And then on the feet, when this guy rushes, because he's got a lot of forward pressure, and when he rushes to that clinch, it's like I'm watching dudes in the jujitsu room. Like, he'll tie up with you, but there's no knees. There's no dirty boxing. There's no elbows. It's just purely just tying up with nothing. And 
we know what his intent is to get it to the map, but I think that Armfield has enough defensive wrestling to keep the standing on the feet. I think Armfield's a lot faster, a lot more accurate, um, and just a lot, you know, more technically sound than Kazama. And Armfield, when you look at his three losses, they've all aged great. Ronnie Lawrence, I mean, there's no shame in that. The next guy he lost to is a nine and one prospect that's about to fight on contender series, whose only loss is a decision loss to Demond Blackshear. And you might look at it and see it says he's eight and two, actually. He's eight and two because his other loss, he knocked the dude out with an up kick and they and they called, you know, the guy that got knocked out the winner. Like you guys know how I feel about that. When you knock a grown man out and they call him the winner, like the first Aljamain and Peter fight, like that's that's not a loss in my eyes, right? Um, but back to this. So Garrett fights that guy. He beat the shit out of that guy. There was some weird refing where, you know, the dude had him on, on, on the ropes. Ref kind of gives the dude a little bit of a break. And Armfield fucked up in that second round, but I'll give him credit. That was a fully locked in rear naked choke. That wasn't, you know, any quick tapping or any quitting. That was, he was dead to rights, but he looked really good early on in that fight. And then the Onama fight, I mean, you saw the size difference in that fight, bro. <laughs> I mean, Onama's a guy that's going to be on short notice. I mean, up a weight class. I, you know, when we say short notice, let's not, because, because two weeks and three weeks is considered short notice. He took this on Tuesday of fight week. That That's the short notice we're dealing with. He did pretty good in round one, man. Like, I think that, look, is Garrett a bit on the greener side? Yes, but I see potential. I see you know, areas of his game that, um, you know, just give him a little bit more seasoning, a little bit more experience. And he could be a dangerous guy. He can win some fights in the UFC. And I even went back and I watched my breakdown of his fight with Onama. And I said, listen, he's not going to win this fight. It's going to be a tall order. But I do see this guy winning some fights in the UFC. And this is one of those fights I see him winning. I only have one concern in this fight. And that's Kazama submitting this guy. That's it. I'm not worried about anything else. I think on the feet, there's going to be a speed difference, an accuracy difference, a strike arsenal difference. I think that Garrett's not going to be easy to be to, to be taken down. I think he can get back up from bottom. But again, you know, I'm not going to look you in the eye with a straight face and tell you that if Kazama takes his back, then I'm not going to be fucking sweating because I am. But Kazama is sub or bust. I got this at minus 147. It's looking like it's going to trend in the minus 175 to minus 200 range. So I beat the line and uh, let's let it ride. So to win two units on Garrett Armfield here. Yeah, I mean, this is the one we're going opposites on, Dan. Um, I took Kazama at plus 150. Um, everything you mentioned is actually accurate. I mean, there's nothing to... What, what do you mean actually? No, I'm just kidding. It, it, it's accurate in the sense that I, I, there's one thing that you didn't mention that I took away from Armfield is why I bet Kazama as well. Um, Armfield's, I, I love his striking, actually. Throw, he, he never throws one strike at a time. It's always three, four, five, you know, bunch of strikes. And 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 not that he has a lot of power in his hands. It's just that when you're throwing in combos, it's the third, fourth, and fifth punch that hurts you, <laughs> you know, the ones that you're not seeing. And he does that very, very well. You know, he's at Kill Cliff. He's, you know, he's... Actually, actually... He left Killcliffe. Now he's uh, at, at the former gym of James Krause, which is now run Marathon? by 
But yeah, by Trey Ogden. Okay, thank you for that. I thought he was still at Kilcliffe. Okay, so when I go back and watch his fights, and, and you mentioned, I love, by the way, this is to preface everything with, I love Mateo Vogel as a prospect. He's a really, really good fighter. Um, and that was a very good look for Armfield, and that was kind of bullshit where he got him hurt, and, you know, they, they kind of, like, separated a little, and then the ref is like, oh, hold on, let me give this guy his mouthpiece while the guy's wobbling back, like, it's a terrible, terrible timing for him, and it's kind of bad luck. Um, the issue I see with, with Armfield more than anything is this guy slows down a ton in the late rounds of round two and round three. His gas tank really, really goes down badly. You could see it in the slider fight where he won by split, which I don't think was a split, by the way. He won that fight pretty clear. But you see him slowing down there. You see him slowing down big time against Ronnie Lawrence in round three. And, you know, this guy, and you see him in an Onama fight, but I don't want to put too much into that. It was short notice, up away class against a bigger guy. Now, Kazama is the type of guy that will, you know, his wrestling is not great. He's got actually pretty slick jujitsu, but he keeps coming and he has a very, very good gas tank. And I think that's partly why I played him here. Not because he has good wrestling, not because I think he's the better skilled fighter overall here, because I do think it's Armfield. But the problem that I see with Armfield over and over and over on tape is this guy slows down a bunch later in fights. And I kind of feel like against a guy that's going to bring a, a very, very heavy pace of grappling in Kazama, I do think Armfield needs to get this guy out of there pretty damn early. And if not, I, I think I see Kazama taking over in this fight. I see the grappling with a lot of success as this guy slows down, similar to some of these fights. So, um, you know, I got a shot on Kazama here, plus 150. Um, I didn't like the way he runs into – like, he comes in very pressure heavy. Like, he's going to knock dudes out. Like, dude, take it easy. You're not a striker. And he did that against Nakamura, and he decided to trade with him. And, you know, he went to sleep. And not that I think he had, would have any success in the grappling against Nakamura. It's just, you know, you're going up against a high-level wrestler. It was probably a terrible matchup for him in hindsight. So, um, yeah, I got me some – Kazama here plus 150 just for that main factor of you know this guy kind of slowing down against grapplers and and almost all of his losses are actually in the grappling and, and guys to that that have grappled him. Yeah, so let's see, man. Um I don't you're not into like the shoey bets and stuff like that, right? Nah, I don't do shoeys, but we could do whatever else you want. How about just the air handshake? May the best man win. No, how how about how about if you win? I got a good one. I got a good one. I have some nice posters. I'll let you choose. I have a bunch of them. You win a poster, you get you send me something else in, in return. Whatever. It doesn't All right. matter. All right. Air handshake. Air handshake. All, All right. right. Deal. Deal. All right. Next up in the middleweight division, this is a banger. We got Chidi Enshokuani. He's 22 and 9, taking on Lord Michal Olegzechuk, who's 18 and 6. Currently, they got it. Mihal Olegzechuk minus 115, Chidi Kuwani minus 105. So a pick him with a slight lean on Lord McCall. What a fight because, you know, what's funny is that the big talking point is that McCall dropped to 85 his last few fights. He had no business at 205. But at 205, he still beat guys like Khalil Roundtree. And he, you know, had a real war with Dustin Jacoby where he won the first round. 
and you know he was doing some good stuff there but he's just way too small and i had even said like yeah this dude should drop to 85 but mike i think he could drop to 70s because when you look at him and cheaty cheaty is gonna be massively larger than this man but i think the dynamic here is Mihal with his insane pressure he's gonna be going forward he's gonna be backing cheaty up he's gonna be swinging big bungalows and cheaty is gonna have to kind of be on the more sniper side cheaty's got insane feints his kicks are heavy big knees in the clinch um his the biggest criticism throughout his career has been when you take this guy down, despite him actually being a black belt at this point, you know, when you kind of put that pressure on him, he doesn't tend to get back up, but it's better than it used to be. It's better than it used to be. Like, I don't know if you remember the Koresh got fight back in Bellator. You compare that, some of the recent fights, like I know he pulled, you know, he, he did empty out the tank against Robocop and it happened again. But I thought the Duraev fight, despite a losing effort, was a step in the right direction in terms of, you know, he, he wasn't just getting dominated on the mat. Um, I thought he clearly lost the first round. And then, man, that's a fight that, like, I've watched a couple different times, whether it was watching it live when it actually happened or going back and re-watching it when, you know, um, when, what's his name? What, uh, what's the Russian's name? Durayev. Durayev, when, when, when he fought recently against uh, Zhong Young Park. Sometimes I go back and forth on who I thought won that fight. It was kind of up in the air. Bottom line, TG, uh, excuse me, Cheaty did not do what was required to really put a stamp on things, which sucks because the fight was in Texas. Um, and you know, Cheaty is from there, so you thought they they would have they would have gave it to him, but nope. So his backs up against the wall. I mean, how do you kind of see it? Do you see the pressure of Mikal kind of overwhelming Cheaty? Do you think Cheaty, you know, with his sharpshooter sniper approach, can you know catch him with something down the line, kind of like Dustin Jacoby did to Kennedy? Kennedy normally takes that first round off and Kennedy uncharacteristically came out balls to the wall against Dustin Jacoby and putting that pressure on him. He got sniped with something down the pipe. I could see something similar happening here. If Chidi is to win this fight, if not that pressure of Mikal could overwhelm But bottom line, I see, I see heavy exchanges. I see someone hitting the deck and I see this being one of the best fights or knockouts of the night. Yeah, you. I mean, you're. It, I just think Chitty's problem is is he doesn't like pressure fighters, in my opinion. He doesn't like guys that are going to keep coming after him. They're going to zap his gas tank. He wants to be on the outside. He wants to use his kickboxing. He's very, very slick, very, very accurate with his with his punches and kicks, and very nasty in the clinch. Um, the problem here is like McCall's just going to keep coming. This guy is a madman. The other problem for Chitty is McCall works the body a ton, man. He throws a lot of heavy body shots. And in a fight where it's going to get dirty, that's just how McCall makes every one of his fights. I think it's a bad thing for Chitty here. Um, if I kind of, so I bet on. Mark Andre Barrio against Chidi in the in the same sense that I thought as the fight extended, Mark Andre would eventually break him because he's a pressure forward guy. There was a bunch of body shots, very similar. But guess what happened? Chidi caught him very early and he went to sleep. So we didn't really get to see that iteration of that fight. You know, it, it was an early knockdown, early knockout. Sorry, and it could happen here again because Mikal is very hittable when he comes forward. He's I mean he's coming crashing in the pocket. 
throwing big overhands. And he is hittable. He is hittable with knees up the middle as well. Because when he throws his overhands, he tends to throw them in ducking forward. You know, like those big overhands where you could just eat a knee, a flying knee from Chitty, which I'm a little afraid of. But I think uh, I think this is a good fight for Mikel. I, I think he pressures forward. I think he works the body well. And I think Chitty's gas tank, even though he went three rounds last time, the problem was is Duraev has just as bad of a gas tank or even worse than Chitty does. So um, I think that helped him there. So um, I like McCall here. I I'm waiting. The line keep people keep betting Chitty. So I'm just going to wait as this line goes down. And I'm going to try to hit McCall hopefully at the bottom. Maybe I don't get the bottom. But I think eventually I'll get a bet in here on McCall. Uh, I like the pressure. I like the body work. Um, and if I bet Mark Andre Barrio for the same exact reasons, then there's no reason I should not be betting McCall here um, at a similar, you know, a similar line. So fight ends inside the distance is minus 280. And you guys know I'm not much of a prop guy, but let's have a little lesson in props here. If you come to the conclusion that someone's going to hit the deck, that these two are going to stand and bang until one man falls, well, Chitty inside the distance is plus 150. Um, and Chitty by KO is plus 215. Oleg inside the distance is plus 145. Oleg um, by KO is plus 190. I mean, you can take both of those. Either guy wins by knockout, you're coming out with profit. The issue is that this becomes a three-round war, you know, then uh, shit isn't going to go your way. But if you're damn confident that one of these guys is hitting the deck, play both of their KO props and guarantee yourself a, a, a profit there. Um, I also lean towards Mikal because I know that that pressure style has always historically given Chidi issues throughout his career, but I can't act, you know, like it's some lock or like I'm super confident because Chidi is a sniper. Chidi does have devastating knees, straight punches. And when there's no takedown threat, that's when Chidi feels more comfortable. And that's when he really feels like he can let his hands go. And when we pull up Mikal's numbers, um, okay, so Mihal Olegzechuk has landed a grand total How, more than I thought three takedowns in his UFC career, which is eleven fights, three takedowns and eleven fights, three eleven, one of my favorite bands, but three takedowns and eleven fights. So chances are. I mean, uh, you never know, right? You really never know because we have seen weaknesses there for both guys. So maybe one of them wants to throw, you know, that, you know, bring that ace up, uh, you know, their back pocket, you know, up their sleeve and, and, and hit a takedown. But I think that both of them are going to be kind of relieved by the fact that, hey, there's not much of a takedown threat here. These guys are going to, each guy's going to give me the kind of fight I want. Let's let them fly. The only concern is sometimes when you get two very dangerous strikers, they will show each other a lot of respect. The thing is, with Michal's fighting style, he doesn't show anybody respect, so that's why I think someone's hitting the deck. I'm going to go Michal, but I still really think Michal could fight at 170. Um, so it's not a confident pick. I just I just slightly lean his way, and I think the odds indicate that it's a slight lean uh, towards his way. So not much value in my eyes, but pure pick, I will go with uh, Michal. Now, this next one I have a bet on. Next up in the welterweight division, we got Keenan Song. He's 19 and 7, taking on Rolando Bedoya, who's 14 and 2. 
And currently, they got it. Rolando Bedoya, minus 325. The comeback on Keenan Song is plus 260. So I took Rolando at minus 225 about a week or two ago. And, uh, you know, I so I take it at minus 225. And then the next day, the line's already moved to minus 240, minus 250. And I see all these people posting minus 225 tickets. I'm like, dude, that line hasn't been available in a, in a while. Like, you think you're slick? Like, I, I see what you're doing, guys. But uh, that line moved 24 hours after I made that bet. But let me tell you why I'm taking this spot. Longtime listeners of Half the Battle know one of my favorite angles is guys that can double or triple people up on, on strikes, you know, on output. I love that angle all day. And just to make my point in case here, um, Mike, in round three of the Chaos Williams fight, in round three, okay, just round three, in round three of the Chaos Williams fight, Rolando Bedoya landed more strikes than Keenan Song has landed in any UFC fight he's had. Okay? So basically what I'm trying to say here is that Keenan Song can only win this fight in one way, by knockout. He's got heavy hands. We can't deny it. Big left hook, big straight right. We understand that. I mean, I guess a decision path would be he's getting out-volumed, and then he lands a big knockdown at the end of the round. That that you know. <clears throat> but basically, what I'm saying is Keenan Song's success is predicated on knockdowns, nothing else. I'm not worried about Keenan Song's volume. I'm not worried about Keenan Song takedowns the only concern is this guy flooring us and a lot of people are planting their flag saying that bedoya got robbed against chaos i'm not one of those people i mean i could see a case for both i think it could go either way like when i've watched that fight i'm like i see the argument for both i know that the commentators are pretty sure bedoya won the fight all the fans are sure bedoya won the fight but for me I just thought it was a very competitive, hard-nosed fight that could have gone either way. So I don't care about planting my flag on who won that fight. That's irrelevant to me. The only thing that's relevant here is what I just told you, Mike, is that in round three against Chaos, this man landed more strikes than any fight Keenan Song's had. So this fight goes the distance, and you look at that box score, I mean, we're doubling or tripling this guy up on strikes. I beat the line by a dollar or more already. Um, I'm pretty happy with my position here. I mean, I could go hedge out and guarantee myself a profit, but I'm riding this one out. I think Keenan Song is on his way out. I think that he took ungodly punishment his last two fights. And the Gary fight, oh, he dropped Ian Gary. I think Ian Gary was a little bit arrogant in that spot. I think his, it was target practice. He was getting a little bit carried away. He got caught with a perfect left hook. And listen, like I said, Keenan can crack. We, if we're going to give Keenan credit for something, the man can crack. But that's all he can do. Like I said, I'm not worried about his volume. I'm not worried about his takedowns. I'm not worried about him being tougher than Bedoya. And what I think Bedoya is going to be doing here is Bedoya is going to be getting off on that volume. And I love his head movement. I think he's going to land three punches and then, you know, slip out the way of that big counter left hook. He does have nice head movement. He's got a fantastic chin, the volume, like I already mentioned. And on his regional scene, he was finishing guys via submission, via knockout. And what was interesting, Mike, was that I thought Bedoya could actually drop to 55s, but that was in his regionals. Once I saw him in the UFC, I was like, okay, maybe I was off about that. Maybe this guy really is a welterweight. The bottom line, 
I just think heart, balls, mental fortitude, and most importantly, nonstop output is what's going to get this kid the win. Um, I don't blame y'all for passing here at minus three something, minus 370 in some spots, but at the minus 225 I got, I thought there was value there, and uh, I played it to uh, to win two units. So let's get it. Yeah, I agree with you. Minus 225 is a great line, but minus 370, you just – um, it's getting out there. This is recency bias. I mean, giving him minus 370. The kid, what'd you say? Heart, balls, mental fortitude, right? What gym is that? Um, yeah, exactly. Shoot the box. All those guys have those exact attributes in that gym, man. They literally do. And he's literally fits to a T exactly like all these other guys. You know, a lot of heart. You know, their chin is, you know, good durability they keep coming they throw a ton of volume um you, you know and he has all those attributes and it was a it was a good look for him against um yes williams i thought he edged that went out to be honest um I, it was close because the bigger shots were coming from chaos but i i thought bedoya actually won that fight um but again it was a close fight this was not a robbery like some people call them you know, robbery gets thrown around like it's high and by nowadays. So I don't think it was a robbery, but it was a good look for Bedoya. The thing that sticks out a lot, and I go to, to this a lot in my tape, and I love body shots. That's one. And I love calf kicks, too. Those are major weapons in MMA. We've seen the calf kick over and over again become a major weapon. And Bedoya throws a ton of calf kicks. And you know what Kanan Song does very bad, Dan? He can't check a single calf kick, man. He got killed by Ian Gary. He got killed by... Uh, Max Griffin. Max Griffin. He got killed by Alex Morono. All these guys kept nailing him to the calf. And he just literally doesn't know what to do. And he's so heavy because he's constantly looking for that check left hook that he throws. And, it, and it's a very heavy left hook. So when you're throwing that punch, you need to be heavy on that lead leg. And he's and he's heavy on that lead leg, and he, and he gets kicked off a lot. And Bedoya has very, very good calf kicks, just like all the shoot-to-box guys. And I think that's going to be a major weapon in this fight, to be honest. I mean, Chaos Williams ate a lot of calf kicks, man. He's a tough SOB, and we know that. I mean, Chaos Williams, you need to freaking put that guy literally on a stretcher for him to get out of that ring, for you to get him out of there. He's just not going to quit. And, you know, it's a major issue for Kanan Song here. You know, the volume is a major issue. Like you said, I, I, I truly believe it's KO or bust here. But I also think this line's kind of getting a little crazy because if there's one thing that he has, it's a ton of power. And, and the thing that he has that's a little different than Chaos is he's a little bit more technical, right? He's a little bit more technical in the boxing. Chaos is... Exactly that. You know, he throws chaos. He's throwing big overhands, wide looping shots. This guy's a little more technical when it comes to the counter striking and stuff like that. So I do think he's live for a knockout, albeit that Bedoya has shown a great chin. I, I did see him get dropped in the regional fight against, um, let me get the name of this dude, um, Ot Otalara, Otaloro, whatever. He got dropped in round one in that fight, but I mean, he recovered pretty damn quick. So I'm going to give you a, a side. It's Bedoya here. I do think he wins. I think the calf kick is a major weapon for him here. Um, and, and, and the chin on, on 
Kanan's song. I mean, we have to talk about it, man. The and way the Max, confidence too. Yeah, the way Max Griffin slept this guy, it was not a very good look. And you know, Max Griffin has decent power in his hand, but he just doesn't sleep people, right? He he drops them, he doesn't sleep them, and he and he slept this guy against the cage there. So it is a little bit of a concern. Um, you know, I like the Bedoya side here. I do think he wins, but I, I wouldn't touch that money line right now. You had a you have a great price. Another thing, just a last little tidbit. Um, so the kid does train in Brazil, but he's Peruvian. And I, I mentioned that yesterday, Peruvian MMA is on the up. Five years ago, Peruvian MMA was a laughing stock um, in, in, in the UFC. I mean, you remember Jesus Pinedo, he actually fought in the UFC and, and they cut him after one loss. Um, and, and there were a bunch of other guys that like, what's, what's the name of that kid? Um, Bandane, Bandane, you know, there were a bunch of dudes that were just shit in the bed, but now look at Jesus Pinedo. Now look at the two, the two Peruvians, they sign on contender series, this kid Bedoya, like Enrique Barzola, the OG Peruvian MMA is on the up. So you love to see how. You know, it's just developed so much in the last five years because it used to be a case. And, and like, let's like date back to eight years ago, right? Where Australian MMA used to be a laughing stock. Used to be like, oh, he's an Australian grappler, <laughs> you know, right? Now, like these Australian like grapplers are no fucking jokes anymore. Like, it's just beautiful to see the evolution of the sport in all these countries, Peru, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So. Yeah, uh, I, I uh, listen. At the end of the day, I beat the line by more than a dollar. It's my it's my num my output angle. I already read you the stats, and you know I'm not I'm not I'm not going back on my word now. I'm not going to hedge out, and uh, may the best man win. So he's got uh, a great chin too. I, I think that's a big factor for him here. Like yes. it, it's good to have a chin against a guy like Song. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, now, next up in the welterweight division, we got the return of Japanese Connor Yusaku Kinoshita. He's six and two, but between you and me, seven and one, because one of his losses, he knocked the dude out senseless with stomps. But it wasn't the stomps that got him DQ'd. It was he was grabbing the fence while stomping the dude. But as far as I'm concerned, he's seven and one. Because like we were talking about earlier, when you knock a grown man out and they call him the winner. I'm sorry, but where I'm from, that, that does not make you the winner. He's taking on Billy Goff, who's 8-2. and two. Currently, they got it. Yusaku Kinoshita, minus 130. The comeback on Billy Goff is plus 110. So, firstly, I, I'm kind of embarrassed because I pride myself on getting the best of the number nine times out of ten. Um, that's something that's very important to me. To be a long-term winning gambler, you have to make sure you get the best of the line to minimize your losses and maximize your wins. Um, that's just the bottom line because all those little point twos and point threes you you uh, you lay when you're talking about juice might not seem a lot on one bet, but when you add it up over a large sample size, it sure as fuck adds up. So when I played uh, Yusaku at minus one fifty, and now I see a minus one thirty, yeah, I'm kind of pissed off about that. Um, you know, it's cool that I beat Bedoya by over a dollar. I beat the Armfield line by like what 30 cents or something like that. But here, this is one of the rare occasions where I didn't get the best of it. So I'm kind of pissed off about that. But back to this. Um, 
So I bet uh, Yusaku Kinoshita in his debut against Adam Fuga, and obviously he, he shit the bed that night. He was it was a terrible performance, and I've learned from the past. You know, a lot of fans of half the battle know exactly what examples I'm about to mention right now. When I bet Tyler Santos at minus 150 against Mara Romero Barella, and she just stared at her, right? And, and like when when you came out of that fight. Did you come out thinking, oh, uh, Mara Romero Barella is this title challenger? Or did you just view it as, wow, like Tyla froze up and didn't fight? Like, because you saw a couple fights later, Tyla arguably dethroned Valentina. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it, it's what we like to refer to as a debut stunt. A few fights later, Danielle Zellhuber fought Trey Ogden, right? And, you know, he did the same thing. He stared at Trey Ogden for three rounds. Coming out of that fight, did you think, oh, man, Trey Ogden's going to be this big-time contender? No, you thought Daniel Zellhuber pulled that debut stunt. And the mistake I made with Tyla was I held it against her. So then her next fight against Molly McCann, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely betting Molly against this girl who, you know, the, the lights were too bright for her. The lights weren't too bright. She just pulled her debut stunt. But I didn't make that mistake with Daniel Zellhuber. I went back to the well against uh, Lando Venata. And I trusted my original reads, uh, which which led me to believe the kid was a real prospect based on his regional footage. And I'm I'm willing to give Japanese Connor a second chance. Now, if he fucks this up, I'm completely done with him. But I was really impressed with this guy's regional footage with his contender series fight. Look, he pulled his debut stunt. And like I said, if he does that again here, I'm done with him. But I'm willing to give this kid one more chance because i thought he was special going into that fugit fight man his pull counters his athleticism he's one of the better japanese fighters i've seen in years nasty knockouts some of the best highlight real knockouts i've seen on the regional scene in a long long time and the kid billy goff i mean the guy's a dog you got to give him respect it, it seems like dude's name billy just happened to be dogs billy q Bill Algio, like, I don't know what it is, but these dudes named Billy, they might not be the most athletic. They might get dropped, like, in the first round every fight. But, man, if you can't get them out of there, they will just keep coming. And, man, when they get on top of you and they put that pressure on you, they break guys. So, yeah, there's stuff we're concerned about, of course. Like, I'm not, again, I'm not going to look you in the eye with a straight face and tell you, oh, if Billy gets in full mount and, start, and starts dropping big elbows, that I'm going to be like, oh, we're going to be fine. You know, let, let's just wait till the next round. Yeah, of course, I'm going to be worried about certain situations. But Billy Goff is a guy that gets dropped every single fight. Granted, he tends to recover. But at, at what point is he going to take his KO loss? Like, look, even Billy Q had to take his KO losses. And I'm not even just referring to Edson Barboza. Go watch his fight against Michel Quinones on the regional scene when he got head kicked, knocked out. The right shot is going to put you out. This man is super hittable. Yes, I'm worried about the dogfight, but I'm giving Japanese Connor a second chance here. I'm chalking it down to a debut stunt. Um, and if he proves me wrong and... and Turns out he truly is a fraud. Then it was just a, a bad read on my part, but I'm giving the kid a, a second chance and I played him to win two units here. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of thought the same exact thing you thought. I mean, I thought this guy was really special. Um, very, very hard hitter, very explosive. Um, showed that he can go three rounds and still knock somebody out in the third in that contender series. And, and even in that fight, man, I mean, he landed some massive shots. And that Brazilian was tough as nails, man. Like, really, really tough. 
Very awkward fight for him, too. I mean, that guy was like 6'5 or something. I mean, really, really tall. And we know how hard it is. I mean, that's very hard to deal with, especially when you're a young guy like Kinoshita and him fighting in Japan. He's fighting all these guys that are similar size or maybe even smaller than him. Now he's fighting this dude in contender series and the dude is like 6'5". And it's like, how do I how do I fight this guy? But no, he didn't show any ill effects. Like he went up there, landed some clean shots, knew how to knew how to land the leg kick. And he he looked really good there. Then he comes out against Fugit and and the main concern I had with this guy is how does he look when he gets taken down? What does he look like when he's on the ground? Because we just, we, we don't have any footage of him on the, on his back. And that was my main concern with this guy. I didn't know what he was going to look like. And I knew that Adam Fugit was actually pretty good on the ground. He has, I think, believe he has a black belt. He said decent wrestling, you know, so that was my concern for him. And I, I think I had a bet on Adam Fugit there at a plus nice. like 280. Price tag just because of that, Dan, not because I thought that, you know, Kinoshita couldn't knock him out or anything, but I needed him to prove me that he can actually grapple some. He knows what to do when he's on his back. And honestly, he did not look very good when he was getting taken down there. He just, I mean, he was, he looked kind of like beat already. Uh, I don't know, like going back and watching a fight, it, it was like he was already like beat when he was getting taken down. And I didn't like that look. Um, but I do think. Exactly what you said. Billy Goff literally gets dropped or hurt in every single one of his fights in round one. He's a tough guy. He comes back. But, like, you don't want to get caught like that against a guy like Kinoshita because I think he does have finishing instincts. I think he's very vicious when he has you hurt. He wants to get you out of there. And I think this is a play where I'm probably going to play Kinoshita round one or even a money line pre into something like a live bet on 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 Billy Golf if he survives because I I do think it's going to get airy for him early um but as the fight plays on I think he's the type of guy that has does have dog in him I do think that he's going to come forward and try to even wrestle some here in his Instagram he's been wrestling a bunch of late whatever it may be he's been wrestling rooms and all types of wrestling so I don't know if that's his game plan here I think if he's smart, that would be the game plan here and not try to strike with Kinoshita. The thing I do like with Kinoshita is now he's been at Killcliffe for about almost a year now. Yes, he lost his last fight while training at Killcliffe, but now he's been, it's another 28 weeks where he's at Killcliffe. It just helps out, man. Like he's been in Japan training. This guy's still 22, 23. So he's a sponge, man. He's probably learning on the fly, learning a bunch. So, I do like those looks from him. I might get on him on a money line because this line seems to keep dropping. So maybe I get on a money line here if it drops enough and 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 possibly, you know, look to live bet out of it if if he doesn't finish this fight early. Yes, sir. Japanese Connor season. Let's go. Get back on track, kid. And uh hopefully he does it. Next up in the flyweight division. We got Na Liang. She's 19 and 6, taking on JJ Aldrich, who's 11 and 6. Currently, they got it. JJ minus 575. The comeback on Na Liang's plus 410. I mean, listen, obviously, I'm not laying a price like this on JJ. Um, you know, she shot the bed at prices like this in the past. Look at the Ariane Lipsky fight. And they are such polar opposites in their approach. You know, JJ kind of wants to be on the outside, have that kind of pretty fight where she doesn't take too much damage and she can kind of parry you 
run away, pot shot or whatnot, mixing the occasional takedown. Whereas now Leon is just going to run right out here, balls to the wall, um, kill or be killed. You know, either she gets you out of there or uh, she gets finished herself. I haven't really thought that now Leon's on the UFC level at all, um, but the price is everything and the price is trash. So it's either a pass or you hope that JJ Aldrich is jet lagged, you know, that time of the month, gone to a fight with her boyfriend that's like 40 years older than her. And uh, maybe it's just not her night at 5 a.m. in Singapore. Um, but yeah, all that aside, I think JJ should should win this fight as the line indicates. But you will not catch me dead laying no chalk on JJ Aldrich in a UFC fight, period. Yeah, I mean, this is a bathroom break for me. Um, I don't know. Now, Liang is not UFC level. Let's put it that way. She comes in with her fucking, she's looking at the ceiling when she's throwing punches. She doesn't have a chin. She doesn't know if she's a 25er or 15. You know, she's up and down between flyweight and strawweight. You know, and then the other side is like, do you want to lay this type of price with JJ Aldrich, who's already pulled a stunt her last time out, you know, as a, minus 400 favorite like no thank you I'm, I'm not touching this um i'm just gonna pass man i, I don't even think there's value on nali even though you know we kind of feel like it's dog or pass she's just not good man she's doesn't do anything really good to be honest she can't wrestle she can't strike she has a terrible chin um yeah it's just a pass for me um if, if you know i'm gonna take the winner is J.J. Aldrich, but never playing that price on her. And last but not least, kicking off the card in the featherweight division, we got Sung Woo Choi. He's 10 and 6, taking on Yarno Aarons, who's 13, 4 and 1. Currently, they got it. Sung Woo Choi minus 170. The comeback on Yarno Aarons is plus 140. So Sung Woo Choi is an interesting cat because he comes into the UFC. And uh, you know, he, he's been fighting all these bums on his regional scene. And then they're like, Here's Movsar Evloev, you know what I mean? And then right after that, here's Gavin Tucker, you know? But then they gave him a couple step-downs in competition, took care of the Mokhtarian guy, beat Yusuf Zalal, which at the time was a big win, knocked out Julian Arosa in the first round. So we're like, okay, okay, he's bounced back. And then the Alex Caceres fight, like you were alluding to earlier, drops him in that first round. And it's looking like, hey, kid, a couple follow-ups. You're about to get the biggest win of your career. And then uh, he decided to go full pride, <laughs> rules on him, knees him in the face, gives Alex all that time to recover. Alex, to his credit, gets back in the fight, takes his back, chokes him out. And, man, Sung Woo hasn't been the same since. Now, in that Josh Kulabau fight, he showed a tremendous amount of heart, but he took a tremendous amount of damage. You know, he got knocked down twice in that fight. I have no idea how that fight was a split decision, but I remember watching that fight and then, the fight was on a Saturday going back to the gym on a Monday. And uh, my professor was like, man, that, uh, that Korean kid just refused to die. Like he said, he was like, never say die. Just like in pride, man, it was crazy. Like the kind of heart he showed, but then against Trezano, which also seemed like a bit of a winnable fight. He's a minus 180 favorite in that spot. And we're talking double knockdowns. We're talking, I mean, I enjoy watching fights like that. It's just when you're talking about getting my money down, um, you know, how much chin does Sung Woo Choi have left? How much confidence does he have left? Because 
I do think he's a good athlete. I do think he's a heavy hitter. I do think he's got, you know, some decent experience. And then on the other side with Yarno, you know, he's a, uh, you know, he's from the Netherlands. Um, and he's kind of one of these guys that he's a bit of a low output kickboxer, but not the best takedown defense. But then he is kind of, he, he will surprise you at times with some of his submission attempts, like that third round against Gomez, man, that triangle choke was deep props to Gomez. Like that, his defense was so on point to get out of that. And you've seen in some of these other um, fights that this kid's had He's got guillotines, Dars chokes. You know, I got affinities for those, man. You know, I have a soft spot in my heart for the guillotines and the Darces. So I respect it. Um, I'm just not sure. Like, what to think? Is this kind of a good bounce back for Sung Woo Choi? Is he damaged goods at this point? Um, and and where exactly do we rank or rate Yarno Aaron? So I kind of want to hear what you have to say about this one because I'm on the fence. Yeah, I, I'm on the fence right there with you, man. Um, I actually like Yarno's submission game, man. Like he throws a ton of different submissions, even on his regional tape against these Russian wrestlers. Like, he's putting them in terrible spots where they don't even want to be on top of him. Um, pretty surprised, like, to see that this is this guy is a, a, a little bit more of a high-level grappler, but he's not. Like, I think he's either a blue or purple belt. But, like, he shows a lot of submissions, even on his regional tape. And, and we saw him get, like you said, that triangle was really deep. If it wasn't for... This guy having a lot of sweat probably on his head, being in the third round to slip his head out. He probably goes to sleep there, but he managed to get his head out of there because it was wet, you know, his third round, slippery. But, I mean, it was a slick submission on his part. And on the feet you mentioned, he's kind of low volume. Um, he does tend to throw with decent power, and, and, and he pressures forward a lot. I just don't know with Choi, man. Like, four knockdowns in the last two fights. Is he damaged goods? Like, like, what's going on here? Like, this guy's getting dropped every time by this same exact punch, the left hook. He never sees that left hook. Dan, when he's throwing, like, you could see he every single time he's dropping his right hand. And when he throws his right hand, he never brings it back to his chin. He always drops it. So people counter him with the left hook every single time. And he just doesn't see it. And, and he gets clipped by it. And... and you know, Jarno's a kickboxer, so pretty sure he sees it on tape. He, I'm pretty sure he sees that, you know, Choi has that really big, like, mistake that he makes with that right hand. Like, he drops it over and over again. And the one thing that I don't like with Choi that he tends to do a lot is when he gets hurt, and he just wants to bite down on that mouthpiece and throw haymakers back and and I just don't think that's a good idea when your chin is not very good. You know, he did the same thing against Trezano. He gets knocked out. You know, he did the same thing against Kulabao. He gets knocked down. You know, it's like, dude, your chin is not good. Stop doing this to yourself, you know. And that's where I have a, a problem here, you know. Like, who do I think is more skilled? I, I do think Choi is the much more skilled fighter here, to be honest. I just don't trust his chin. And... There's a lot of data to suggest that, you know, his chin might be shot here at this point. And, you know, he left, um, I think he was either at ATT or Killcliffe. He left there. He's back with Korean Zombie. Um, I'm just going to pass here. If I'm to take a winner, I 
I lean Choi because I think he's the better mixed martial artist. But I, I also kind of concerned that he's damaged goods at this point. Yeah, same concerns. Um, it's such a tough fight for me to call. I don't know what to expect from Choi. You know, also, let's say Choi doesn't want to bang with this kickboxer. Let's say he wants to take him down. We know Yarno doesn't have the best takedown defense, but we also know Choi, you know, you get him in, in submissions and uh, not to discredit the guys that have submitted him. You know, Gavin Tucker, a black belt, Alex Caceres, true fucking seasoned vet i'm sure he's probably a black belt too but there wasn't much resistance they were kind of quick taps um i don't know i'm a lean choy but i just don't want to lay a price on him and you know sometimes these guys like i said look better in their second ufc appearances you know maybe yarno didn't really show all he could do in that in that first fight maybe it looks better here I just have no idea. And usually when I have no idea, I take the dog, but um, it's like I have no idea to a point where like I really don't know how good Yarno really is, whereas I know how good Choi can be. I also know how bad Choi can be, but I know how good he can be on his best day. So I'm going to lean with Choi, but it's it's not a confident pick. And you know, unless someone has a strong read, I'd advise most likely staying away from this fight. Now, Mike, before we get out of here, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. And everybody watching, we sincerely appreciate you guys being here. Please do me a big favor and hit the like button. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. And when this is over, uh, leave me a comment. I really appreciate y'all when you do that. And if you feel so inclined, feel free to share. Now, Mike, what is the fight to watch for UFC Singapore? I think it's got to be that Blanchfield Santos fight. Uh, I think. Um, that's an extremely interesting fight. I think it's kind of, you know, not kind of, it, it is the biggest test for Blanchfield, right? Like this is, is this girl it, right? And we're going to probably find out in this fight here because Santos is very skilled. She's a very, very good striker. She's a, a good grappler. You know, everything that you need to see here is she has it. And we're going to see just how, you know, if this girl, Blanchfield, does have the it factor, and, and I think she does, honestly. I, I think she has the it factor, and I can't wait for that fight, actually. You know, and, and for me, I'm not a big WMMA guy, but this is a high-level fight with two high-level fighters, and I'm looking forward to that fight. I'm kind of surprised it's not all the way up there when it comes to, you know, this card because I, I wanted to see it all the way up there, maybe even as the co-main. I'm going to give you two fights to watch. First one... Is a no-brainer. Uh, Shidi Njikwani versus Mihal Oleg Anytime you get two dangerous strikers like that and they don't have a threat of a takedown and you know they're going to let it go, I mean, how can that not be one of the fights to watch? There's a high likelihood that this fight ends in very violent fashion, and that's what the fans want to see, especially at 5 a.m. And also... Japanese Connor versus Billy Goff, man. Like, I, I want to see if Japanese Connor is really that prospect I thought he was going into the UFC. I'm willing to give him that second chance. And Billy Goff is no pushover. Billy Goff is a dog. Billy Goff is going to bite down on that mouthpiece. So he's going to give uh, Yusaku Kinoshita that, you know, that litmus test he needs to show, like, kid, are you ready or not? So for that reason, those are my fights to watch. Now, Mike. Who is your fighter to watch for UFC Singapore? Yeah, the fighter to watch for me here is probably going to be uh, 
the guy you mentioned, I, I want to see Kinoshita in his in his comeback here. I want to see some improvements as far as the, the grappling is concerned. I mean, he, like I said, he's in a good gym now. I want to see a little more improvement there. And I think that's the guy I, I want to keep my eye on because I do think, you know, probably came into that first fight and, and anybody can shut the bed on their first fight in the UFC. We see it over and over and over again. And this is going to tell me, you know, what this guy's future is like, to be honest. Like, if he can't pass this test, then he's probably not going to be in the UFC for very long. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what he has here in his second fight in the UFC. Yeah, and for me, I'm going to go uh, Rolando Bedoya. Listen, man, this guy put up ridiculous numbers in his debut against a massive step up in competition compared to the guys he was fighting on the regional scene. And he's someone that got people talking, got people excited about his next fight. People thought he got robbed against Chaos Williams. And now he does have to fly halfway across the world, but he got a big step down and a winnable fight. And if he passes this test, like I think he's going to, then he's going to elevate his stock even more. It's going to be another exciting fight after that. And just his camp in general, like you alluded to with the Charles Oliveras, with the Daniel Willie Cat Santos. There's a bunch of other guys in their camp coming up too, man. Um, Alan Nascimento, right? Like he could be the next big prospect coming out of shoot to box Brazil. So shoot to box Diego Lima. So for that reason, Rolando Bedoya is my fighter to watch. Well, Mike, we did it. It's going down this Saturday morning for us live in Singapore. Two legends, Holloway and the Korean Zombie, plus a bunch of really intriguing matchups. I can't wait for it. The fans can follow you at NarcoCop or NarcoCop MMA? At NarcoCop on Twitter. NarcoCop on Twitter. Um, anything else? What, what else you want to plug? Plug it all. NarcoCop MMA on YouTube. Uh, every Friday, Lambo Place podcast with my co-host, Timothy Troiano. And I do a live spaces every Saturday on Twitter for every live card. But I don't know about this one, man. I don't know. 2 a.m. start time here. Uh, I might not have a live spaces for this one. But, Dan, thanks for having me. And uh, shout out to the chat for being here. Yeah. Oh, thanks for coming on, man. It was an absolute pleasure. As always, uh, y'all make sure you follow this man. And then for all the fans that have to battle, thank you so much for all your support. Truly means a lot. Please hit the like button. Subscribe if you haven't already. When this is over, leave me that comment. And if you feel so inclined, please share. Technique of the week dropping Friday. I'll be back next week. I'll announce it now with Liam Picks Fights to break down the UFC Paris card. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.